Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, thank you, Kelly Choir worship teams. Great job today. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 11? I started a sermon series uh, last week entitled uh, Battle Ready. We're looking at these verses on spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we're trying to get, uh, get ready for battle. Most Christians just can't fight the enemy. Most aren't even aware there's a fight going on. We tend to fight the wrong things in the wrong way. We're fighting each other, we're in the flesh, we don't recognize the enemy, and all of that's causing a disaster in our spiritual lives. So I want to help us over the next few weeks, look at what Paul said, and for us to get battle ready. So today I want to preach on this subject, gear up, and we're going to look at some specific things that Paul said to help us get battle ready. Let me take just a moment though and introduce where I'm going today. There is a, and you're going to wonder what an oil platform has to do with a sermon, but let, let me talk to you about it just a second. You, you can throw the picture up on the screen. This is the Hibernia oil platform. It sits in the North Atlantic, 189 miles east-southeast of St. John's, Newfoundland. It's a fixed structure. It, is 88, it sits in 88 yards of water fastened to the ocean floor. The total structure is 246 yards high from the bottom of the ocean floor all the way to the top of the structure. Its design is based on GBS, gravity-based structure, which anchors it to the seabed and the structure does not move. Sometimes they make them where they float. This thing is anchored in the seabed. It does not move. It is, in effect, an artificial island. They made it that way because it sits in the middle of what scientists called Iceberg Alley. The icebergs that ply that water can be as large as giant ocean liners. Around the bottom of the Hibernia, you can see where they start to form. There are 16 concrete teeth that surround the Hibernia and jut out underneath the water into the ocean. They say those teeth can distribute an iceberg over the entire structure and into the seabed And it can withstand a million-ton iceberg, which is only expected to happen once every 500 years. That's with no damage. The designers say it can withstand a 6-million-ton iceberg with minimal damage. That size iceberg only happens every 10,000 years. But with all those features built into it, they take no chances Radio operators plot and monitor all icebergs within 27 miles. If an iceberg gets within 27 miles of the Hibernia, they send out special ships who lasso the iceberg and pull it away. Smaller icebergs that get close, our ships are sent out and they are diverted using ships, high pressure water cannons, and they, they blast the iceberg away. Even though it can withstand an iceberg that will only happen every 10,000 years, the designers don't want an iceberg to even get close. They have procedures in place so that the safety devices are never even used. And I read that story, and I'm afraid too many Christians operate just the opposite. 
We have no defenses up in our spiritual life. And so we are constantly bombarded. We are constantly beat down. We are constantly worn down by the enemy's icebergs that are coming our way. And it's not supposed to be that way in the Christian life. We are supposed to be able to stand against our enemy and fight them off and to keep them at bay. And Paul even told us how to do it. So would you stand with me as we read God's word and look at what Paul said beginning in Ephesians chapter number 11. Chapter number six, it doesn't have 11 chapters. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read verse number 11. We're going to skip verse number 12. I talked about it last week. And then we're going to start back at verse 13. Look, Look at verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, which which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. So let me walk you through those passages and let me make some observations about what Paul is trying to tell us. Last week we looked, we were told to be strong and to put up a better fight. We were told that we have enemies in the spirit world and now Paul is chained to a Roman guard when he's writing this. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard and he's looking at the armor that's on a Roman soldier and he he begins to equate that into the Christian life. So beginning in verse number 11, he begins to talk to us about what Paul calls the armor of God, beginning in verse number 11. Paul says in verse number 11 that we as believers are to gain strength and and spiritual power from the Lord. That God has given us a set of divine gifts and, and, and some virtues that we are to cultivate that will assist us in our conflict with the hostile spiritual forces that come our way. So beginning in verse number 11, Paul begins to introduce us to a set of military metaphors that he describes as the armor of God. And so in verse number 11, he, he tells us to put on the whole armor of God or the complete armor of God. It implies a full set of armor that a soldier would wear in, into battle. That word is essential to Paul's development of the full set of metaphors involving weaponry. He wants to give us a picture of a, listen, get this, a fully equipped soldier. Rather than a soldier who haphazardly picks up a few weapons and charges into battle, Paul is trying to give us this this imagery of a soldier that is battle ready. Believers need God's empowerment because they will face a variety of well-planned attacks by a supernatural opponent. Verse number 11, we're told we need God's power so that we can stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. The word strategies there in the Greek is the word methodia. It's only used one other time in Scripture, and it's in chapter 4 of this book. And Paul is using that word methodia because it meant handling something according to a plan. The word was used in secular sense to the method of collecting taxes from the populace. It could be used with negative overtones the way Paul uses it. And when it was, it meant cunning or the scheming. That's why uh, the word translated it wiles. It is the methodia of the devil. It is the strategy of the enemy. It is the cunning, planning, scheming of the enemy. Listen, the idea in Ephesians is that the devil is an intelligent being that carefully strategizes plans against the church 
against God's plan for redemption and against individual believers. So with that thought in mind, he goes into verse number 13 again on the armor of God. And he tells us in verse number 13 that the goal is to stand. It's the compound verb that he used earlier to convey the heightened idea of standing against or resisting. It was a common term used. It almost always occurred with the word enemies. And it meant to withstand attackers, to withstand our enemies. And he says in verse number 13 that we are to withstand in the evil day. Now, there's so many uh, theological uh, um, variations of that term evil day. Some think it means the evil day at the end of time, but that's not the context. The context in which it is given meanings any time evil is encountered. Can we be honest? Every day can be an evil day, right? Amen. Every day our enemy comes after us, which is what he's alluding to. And so because of the methodias of the devil, because of the scheming of the devil, because he comes after us in the evil day or makes every day an evil day, he begins in verse 14 and goes through this armor of God. The pieces are actually listed in the order in which a soldier would put them on. So let me run through them just quickly. He says in verse number 14 that you should have your girded your waist with truth. Paul is talking about fastening the belt of truth around your waist. It would have been called a, a, a military girdle. It was about six inches wide. It was made of leather and it, it held together the clothing underneath it. It held the armor in place. Listen, I love this. When the belt was on and tightened, it meant a soldier was on duty. When a belt was loosened, it meant a soldier was off duty. And Paul is trying to tell us in verse number 14, listen, we are never off duty in the Christian life. You should always have that belt on. It is the foundation of the soldier's armor. You say, what is the belt? Well, Paul tells us truth is the foundation of the Christian life. The truth refers to God's word and the message of the gospel. When we face what, what John called the father of lies in John chapter 8, you need to know that the enemy attacks you with lies, with half-truths, and with distortions. And we as believers need to learn to stand on the truth of God's word. Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then he moves on to the breastplate of righteousness, verse 14. A breastplate was a large leather bronze or chainmail piece that protected the body from the neck all the way down to the thighs. It protected the vital organs. It was a vital piece of the soldier's army. As a matter of fact, of all pieces, no soldier would go into battle without the breastplate. And so he calls it the breastplate of righteousness. It gives evidence that we have been made right with God and it is the righteousness that lives within us through the working of the Holy Spirit. Believers have been made righteous by the blood of Christ. The believers want to live in that uprightness and that integrity, desiring to please the one who saves us. And Satan seeks to thwart righteous living. And then he talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, verse 15. The soldier wore special military shoes that were designed to protect his feet without slowing him down. And the soft leather for walking on one uh, uh, were made of it, but they would have uh, studs on the bottom of them so that they could dig in their heels for hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
And Paul tells us that peace is the Christian's uh, shoes. That peace is the important part of the Christian armor. That we need peace with God first off and then peace with others. The Bible says as much as, be as, po- as much as is possible, live peaceably with all men. And then he talks about the shield of faith. With all that armor, a soldier would also carry a shield. It would be an oblong piece. You've seen a shield about four feet high and two feet wide made of wood and leather. And they would soak it in water. They'd soak that leather in water so the fiery darts of the enemy would be extinguished when they went into the shield. And for the Christian, the shield is faith. It means total dependence on God. It means believing in the promises of God even though we don't see them materialized yet. And finally, he talks about in verse number 17, the helmet of salvation. You know what a helmet is? It protected the soldier's head made of leather, brass, bronze, or iron. No good sword could pierce a soldier's helmet. The soldier, the armor bearer of the soldier always held his helmet, and he would take the helmet from his armor bearer. In the same way, God holds our salvation in his hand, and as a blow to the head often means death. Listen, so a person without hope of salvation will be easily defeated by the enemy. So there's a, it's as fast as I've ever done that, a quick rundown of the protection we have from the demonic horde. But what do those passages really mean to us? Can I, can I give you three observations that, that I want you to leave here with practical truths that will help you defeat the enemy? And so there's three things that you need to know from this passage. Number one, here's what you need to know. That the enemy has a formulation for your annihilation. We're told that in verse number 11 that that we may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. We can't let that phrase go unnoticed. In the Greek it means schemes, wiles, strategies, tricks, trickery, the craftiness, methods, and strategies the devil uses to war against the believer. These are specific schemes, not just general ones. And it, it, it suggests that the devil and his minions, listen, have specific schemes tailor made for each person. Now, stop for a second and think about that. Your enemy has specific plans, method, schemes to bring you down. You say, I preach this, it's a wicked world we live in. Yeah, but it's not, it's not just in general wicked. It is specific wicked to you because, listen, our enemy is aware of the sin in your life. That so easily entangles each of us. And those schemes involve devious methods that follow an orderly technical procedure in the handling of a subject. That word schemes was used in the Greek, uh, 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 secular Greek, to mean a wild animal cunningly stalking. And pouncing on prey. And Satan is a cunning animal who is stalking his prey, who is coming after you, who is attacking the wiles, attacking you with his wiles. Listen, your fall, your sin is not some haphazard attack. Satan is coming after you. He's not throwing the kitchen sink and hoping something sticks. No. 
The enemy carefully works on a formula, a plan, a scheme to hit you where you are the weakest. So listen, the temptations that are coming after you are not by accident. There is a big difference between something accidentally happening to you and something being planned out against you. The other day, I, this is a little embarrassing to admit, I, I, I fell in the shower. And it didn't fall in the shower. I fell getting out of the shower. I'm, I'm turning 50 here this year, and, and, and I just, I'm getting a little clumsier. Now, I know that's hard for you to believe because I'm, I'm nimble like a ballerina. I got moves, you know. Y'all can see it, but, but I'm getting a little clumsier. And so um, I was get, Sherry was in the bathroom, and we got a fairly large shower. And I opened the glass door, and I had my towel, and I started to get out. And something, I, I tripped uh, on the towel, and then I stumbled over the lip, and then I hit, um, I hit our towel in the bathroom floor, and I kid you not, I did a split. I can't even do it. I got down, I got down low on the ground. I mean, I look, you know, I, I was down low, and then I caught myself, and I, I, I jumped back up in the floor, and I, I pitched myself into the, it was something to see. <laughs> it was something to see. I, I, I think I broke my toe. And you don't believe me, I, I actually bought a picture of my toe. I've never done this before, but there it is. That was, that was literally five minutes after it happened. All right, take that down. I don't want them seeing my toe too long. And uh, uh, I mean, it, it was a disaster. And I'm, I, it was about two weeks ago, I still, my toe throbbed all night. I was hurting in places I, uh, I shouldn't hurt. I'd done things I shouldn't done. And I was lucky to be alive when it was all said and done, to be honest with you. Just a freak accident. And it's just really hard to believe. As athletic and agile as what I am, it's hard to believe I had done that. But I got to thinking. Sherry didn't move to grab me. What if it wasn't an accident? What if unbeknownst to me, she had put some kind of Grease down the shower floor just a little bit. What if, what if she had raised the lip on the shower getting out? What if she had given me a towel I'm not used to using? What if out on the concrete floor she had greased it all down so that when I hit at the right time and one of the doors was partially shut into the bathroom, maybe she was thinking I would, I would trip, I would fall, I would slide, and I would crash into that door and do myself irreparable body harm. What if? If it wasn't for my amazing ballerina-style agility. I might not be here today. What if? Now, once again, she's not here to defend herself, but I tell you that to say this. If, if it was an accident, it's one thing. If she planned it out, well, that's a totally different idea. I don't think she planned it out. I mean, we'll see what the investigators say later on. But um, <laughs> listen, so, some of us live in this world, and here's what we think. We think, oh, well, I'm falling, I'm sinning, it's... It's a bad world. There's a lot of sin. No, no, no. You can't think that way. 
The enemy has a plan for you. You can't be so naive and think things are happening by accident. Your demise is being plotted. Your failure is being plotted. Your sin is being plotted. Your fall. Listen, the enemy is putting all he has into ruining your walk with God. So you've got to be prepared. You've got to be aware. Don't think what you're doing is in the dark. All of heaven's eyes, all the spiritual world's eyes are on you. And when you fall and when you fail, the enemy looks at one another and they say, I told you that would get him. I told you he would fall. I told you I've been working on that plan for months and I've been working on that plan for weeks. All to ruin your walk with God. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ is your Savior, listen, you got to understand the enemy is doing that same thing in your life all to keep you away from a relationship with God. Hey, he, they're letting you just see just the right things on television to turn you away from God. They're letting you see just the right Facebook posts, just the right tweets, just the right YouTube videos, just the right friends. Listen, that, none of that is by accident. There is a formulation for your annihilation that is coming for our enemy, and you have to be aware. Second thing this passage tells me is this, that I've got to have a disposition for opposition. I'm I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I, I, I begin to notice a pattern. Verse number 11, he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13, we're told to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand, therefore, having your, girded your waist with truth. And so we heard the word stand, withstand, stand, stand. I see a pattern. It is in the Greek the word anthistema. It means to vigorously oppose to bravely resist, to stand face-to-face against an adversary. You'll find this interesting. It's in medicine. It's where we get the word antihistamine from. It means the blocking of histamine in your body. And so he's telling us that we are to stand, that we are to oppose, that we are to have a, a disposition for opposition. Listen, that you have to walk with God. So you can block the enemy, resist the enemy, be brave against the enemy, hold your ground against the forces that are coming after you. Listen, every time you let the devil get a victory in your life, he pushes you farther and farther back away from the Lord. Something happened this year in football, and um, it, 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 it set football history. And so um, uh, it's just easier to show you and then tell you, what happened? Run that video. They're down by 43 in their four-minute offense. Oh, in a terrible snap. Smith is going to have to. Still loose. It's still loose. Rolling all the way back. This ball is still loose inside the 20. Who wants the football? It is finally recovered by Louisiana Tech. Back at the seven. The greased pig off the snap. If you said this first half was... So you probably didn't watch that game. It was Louisiana Tech and Mississippi, somebody. And uh, it was second and goal from the seven, which that means if you don't know football, you have to get it in the end zone. They fumbled the snap. They kept kicking it backwards. Louisiana recovered it. 
but they recovered it on their own seven. They went back to the, from one seven to the other, and that made it for the first time in football history, third and 93. <laughs> third and 93. They had to go 93 yards to get in the end zone to score a touchdown. And I showed that video not to make fun, bless their hearts, Louisiana Tech, but here's the truth. That looks like our spiritual life a whole lot of times. Man, we get pushed back by the enemy in our Christian life. We keep fumbling spiritual warfare. We keep kicking the ball, going backwards. Because we don't do what Paul said, Paul said, stand. And here's what you've got to do. Listen, they just use some old country language. You've got to bow up a little bit in the Christian life. You've got to get a disposition for opposition. You've got to get a little angry that the enemy is trying to ruin you. You've got to fight back. You've got to resist. You've got to get close to the Lord. Are you tired of falling into the same old sin? Then stand. Are you tired of being depressed and discouraged? Then stand. Are you tired of the enemy always winning? Then stand, stand, stand. Leads me to the third thing. You need to know there's a formulation for your annihilation by the enemy. You need to get a disposition for opposition. Number three, you need to, ha- you, you need to know that you have a collection for your protection. So everything I'm about to tell you in the next three minutes is worthy of its own sermon. I'm just not going to do that during this series. It would turn it into an a eight or nine week sermon series. And, and uh, I'm going to give you the broad overview. Here, here's what I promise you I'll do is later on sometime when I'm your pastor, I will come back and treat these with how they deserve to be treated. But today I just want to walk you through them. Now look carefully this way. I believe personally that every piece of the armor of God is given to us for a specific fiery dart that the enemy will throw our way. So I don't believe these these words Paul was giving to us, they were given to us haphazardly or in general. I think they were given in specific, and uh, this is how I pray these every day in in my quiet time, and I just want to let you in on what I believe. You don't have to believe with me, but here's what I believe. I believe there are five areas of your life, five fiery darts that the devil can get 99% of Christians to fall, if not 100% in these areas. So if you're taking notes, let me give you, they're not going to be on the screen, just write these down and I'll run through them quickly. Number one, I think that we are given the breastplate of righteousness to protect against depravity. By that I mean sin, by that I mean physical sin. That we are told that we are to have on the breastplate of righteousness. Here's what that means. That is the righteousness of God that has been imparted into our lives. Romans 5, 8, but he became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is the righteousness that is imparted in the day we're saved. That also is the righteousness that is lived out through our lives, uh, through the Holy Spirit as he lives through us every day. And here's the truth. You're going to have to walk with God to keep on a holiness into your life, to keep righteousness into your life. If you don't, you will fall prey to that depraved dart of the enemy that he will find an area of weakness in your life. He will find an area of sin in your life. He will find some place where you're successful, listen, and he will map out a strategy to get you so every day you've got to put on 
the breastplate of righteousness. Number two, you've got to put on your feet shod with peace. These no particular order. That protects against discord, fighting, relationships, attitude, relationship issues, attitude issues. So here's the truth. Some of you, the devil, devil can't get you drunk today. He's not going to get you to have an affair today, but he can get you in a fight today. He can have relationship issues going on in your life. He can have you um, uh, 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 go home, get an argument with a husband or wife. He can get, get you to get in an argument with a church member over something that doesn't matter at all. He can get you to get in a fight with a co-worker. And listen, when, you, when your life is full of discord, you're no good for God. Did you hear that? So, so here's what you have to do. You have to have the gospel of peace, understanding that the, the gospel is a peace gospel. You have to put on those shoes every day of your life so you walk around and you just say to the enemy, hey, through the power of God, I'm not getting in a fight with anybody today. I'm laying down my own preferences. I'm laying down my own desires. I'm laying down my own wants because peace is too important to the kingdom of God. Number three, you've got to have on the girdle of truth that protects against deceit. Deceit. Because we've already said it earlier, the enemy will come after you with half-truths, mostly lies. He'll come at you with vain philosophies, Paul called it several times in the New Testament. And listen, he will try to deceive you. Listen, I, I kid you not. He'll let every, every Facebook post be something that will deceive you. Every Twitter post, something that will deceive you. He'll let every news story you read be something that will deceive you. And they're half full of lies and they're full of half-truths and, and it sounds good. And he'll let you fall in love with the right daytime television shows to, to, to steer you away from the truth. Listen to me. If you do not have on the girdle of truth, if you are not bathing your life in the word of God, you will be an easy prey. For that fiery dart of deceit. Number four, you've got to take up the shield of faith. It protects against discouragement. All how many people are discouraged by the Lord, are discouraged in the Lord? You're Christians, you're believers, but discouragement is racking and ruining your life. And can I say this? Discouragement is always a byproduct of a lack of faith. Listen, faith doesn't mean you believe God's going to fix every problem in your life. That's not what faith is. Forget what television preachers on, on TBN tell you what faith is. That is not what faith is. Faith is believing that God has your best interests at heart no matter what's going on in your life. You say, well, I have faith God's going to heal me. He may not. Look, all of us are going to die one day. I don't want to go today. I don't want to go tomorrow. But all of us are going to die one day. There comes a point where you're not going to get healed. You say, I have faith that God's going to get me out of this mess. Well, God's probably looking down saying, I didn't get you in it. I'm not getting you out of it. Here's what faith believes. Faith believes, God, here's what I know. My circumstances are terrible right now. And I don't know if you're going to get me out of these or not. There's nothing wrong. We're praying God to deliver you from the circumstances. Nothing wrong with that at all. Psalms are full of prayers of deliverance. But listen, God may not. 
faith is believing that God has your best interest at heart no matter what your circumstances are. And that old enemy, he'll throw that dart at you, discouragement, and he'll say, God doesn't even love you. Man, if I was your God, I'd get you out of that mess. He didn't tell you he's the one that got you in it, but if I was your God, I'd get you out of that mess. If I I was your God, I'd take care of that. If I was your God. I mean, how can a loving God let bad things happen in the world, but how can a loving God let bad things happen to you? And that shield of faith in God says, I just trust God has my best interests at heart. And finally, there's the helmet of salvation, and it protects against doubt. I believe doubt in the Christian life, doubt in the promises of God. Can I say this to you if you're here today? And, and, you, and you're, you're a member of this church, you're a member of a church, and you're doubting your salvation, the enemy has won. You have to take care of that. You have to drive a stake in the ground because you're never going to attempt anything big for God as long as you're doubting you're saved. God has given us a collection of armor that enables us to withstand everything our enemy can throw our way. Here's our deal. We just have to put it on. It doesn't do any good just to have it and not do it. The armor of God has to be put into practice. That means you have to fill your life with God's word so you can have that righteousness. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You've got to put your faith in God, believing not that he'll fix everything, but that you can trust him in everything. You've got to practice peace with God and other believers. You've got to have the assurance of your salvation. You've got to put on that armor every day. Listen carefully, Josh. Come get a song together, but listen carefully. Every day of my life, by faith, every day of my prayer time, by faith, I put on this armor of God. I have a whole section of spiritual warfare that I pray through in my daily quiet time. And every day I, I say these words Today, Lord, I pray Ephesians 16 through 18. I say, today, Lord, I want to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I want to withstand against the enemy. And so by faith today, I put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect us against depravity. I put on the shield of faith to protect us against discouragement. I put on the feet shod with peace to protect against discord. Lord, there are going to be people in my life today who are going to try to pick a fight with me. You, you, you've met those people, right? They're in an argument waiting to happen. They, they don't even care who they argue with. They'll just start one with anybody. And Lord, I'm going to run into some people like that today. And I need the peace of God in my life. I need to practice peace with others. Listen, God, help me put faith in your promises. Every, every day, every day. When I pray, I put on this armor by faith. Why? God has given me a collection for my protection. So here's what I need. Here's what I would encourage you to do. But the enemy has a plan and it's coming after you. It's not by accident. It is not by accident. You say, preacher, I just happened to trip across that. No, you didn't. It was planned for you, specifically for you. You've just got to, you, you got to get a little Holy Ghost grit about you and just say, I'm not doing it. I am going to stand. I'm not, it's not going to be third 93 in my spiritual life. I'm tired of that. 
I'm putting my feet in the ground. Like a soldier ready for hand-to-hand combat. Put those spikes in the ground. I'm not going backwards anymore. Here's how you're going to have to do it. You have to put on that armor of God every day of your life. So you can stand against the wiles of the devil. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.